Amen. Well, good morning again. After you've been with us, uh, last week we started a new series uh, that we're going to be going through called uh, Who's Your One? And uh, this series is um, it's a great series, and uh, it's put on by the North American Mission Board, and so kind of are, are working in conjunction with them through this series. And uh, if you're here with us last week, we were talking about, you know, we, we talked about who is that one person? What would this community look like, we talked about, if, if everyone in this church, right, if we had 100 to 150 people that committed to praying for that one person that they could lead to Christ. What kind of life change would take place in this community? What kind of life change would take place in this church? And so if you were here last week, when you came in, you got a uh, 30-day prayer guide that goes along with this series. And uh, we want to make sure that everyone has one of these. And so we've got some folks in the back that are going to come forward real quick. If you did not receive one of these prayer guides, could you just simply raise your hand real quick and um, they will bring it to you. Uh, Billy and Courtney uh, are going to get those to you guys as we go through the message this morning. But this prayer guide uh, is just a great tool for you to begin to pray for that one person that you want to be uh, lead to Christ through this series. And we're really excited and uh, can't wait to hear the stories of life change of that one person. The great news is if you lead that one person to Christ, you can always move on to someone else. So don't just settle with one. So just keep that in mind. What I'm hoping this morning... Uh, that we begin to do today is that we would begin to, um, to unpack and we would begin to look at this idea we've been talking about of this one person in our life that doesn't know Christ, that we this morning, that we begin to go fishing for them, right? As I was uh, preparing for this message and kind of thinking about this idea that, man, as a people, right, we're really passionate about movements, aren't we? I mean, really passionate about movements. I mean, especially the millennial generation, right? We love this idea of these, you know, just big, grand things just happening all around us. We love to be part of something great. We love to be part of a church that's doing great things for the kingdom of God, yet somehow we've missed our part in it. Right? It's really easy for us to say you know, that we're part of something great, but not actually use our gifting to be a part of that movement. And what I'm afraid of is that a lot of us, that we've, we've become really good cheerleaders, but not good contributors to the mission of God. Right? We're really good at standing on the sidelines and throwing our pom-poms and cheering while everybody else is, is doing the hard work on the front lines. And, and what I'm hoping today is that we would stop being cheerleaders and we would start becoming contributors to a great movement of the mission of God right here in the South Hills of Pennsylvania. Listen, it doesn't start with the masses, right? It starts with one. It starts with one. It starts with one person. Now, the Gospel of Luke, chapter five, if you've got your Bibles this morning, I'd like you to go ahead and pull those out. If you don't, we're gonna have the scriptures up on the screen, but Luke chapter 5, verse 17 is where we're going to start this morning. And what I'm hoping uh, today is that we would begin to read this passage as we do that, that the Holy Spirit would begin to put on our hearts just a desire, put on our hearts a longing, a passion for the one. So Luke chapter 5, verse 17, let's pick it up here. One day, 
Jesus was teaching, and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. Now, if you read the New Testament, you'll notice that as Jesus is going around from place to place to place, this is you know in the beginning stages of his ministries, he goes around from place to place. He constantly has encounters with these teachers of the law and the Pharisees. Right? These guys are the religious leaders of the day. These are, are people that, that, that came, and, and most of Jesus' teachings were completely against them. Because they put unnecessary weight on the people of God, on God's people for salvation. And so Jesus comes and he kind of pits himself against them and he says, here, this is actually the way of salvation. Pick it up. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. It says, when they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the towels into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. It says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Now the Pharisees and teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy for who can forgive sins but God alone? Now that's a question that comes up constantly in the New Testament, right? Who is this man? Who is Jesus? I mean, even Jesus himself asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? Who do you say that I am? It's one of the most important questions that every human being on the face of this planet will ever have to wrestle with, and that's who is Jesus? Jesus himself stood up in a boat, right? When the waves were, were kind of coming and crashing and the storm was raging. And what does he do? Jesus stands up in this boat, rebukes the waves. He tells them to be still and it happens. And the men in the boat ask each other, right? And they say, you know, who is this man? Who is this man that when he speaks, creation listens, creation obeys. Listen, he's God. See, only God can speak and creation obeys his very voice. But it's a question, That every single person on the planet will have to wrestle with who is Jesus, right? Who is he? So Jesus, in the story, he he knew what they were thinking. And he asked, and I, I love this, right? Because Jesus knows the thoughts of people. And so he begins kind of playing mind tricks with them. And he's like, look, I know what you're thinking, all right? So I'm just gonna go ahead and tell you. And here's what he said. Pick it up here. Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take up your mat and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on and gave uh, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. It says they were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. Now, a few things that I want us to see as we begin to set our hearts on that one person. Some things that we're gonna see this morning that we're gonna kind of pull out of this passage. And number one is this, if you're following along in your connection guides, is that these men in this story, right, that brought the paralyzed man before the feet of Jesus, these men had a mission, Right? They had a mission. Now, mission helps define us, doesn't it? I mean, mission gives us direction. Mission gives us direction in our families. Mission gives us direction in our lives. It gives us direction in our culture. It gives us direction in our businesses. Some of you guys, right, some of your families, you guys are kind of like the, the all-conference families, right? I mean, you're the best of the best, and you've got in your families a mission statement. 
And not only do you have this mission statement, right, but you've got someone, maybe in your family, maybe it was a friend, but, you know, someone, you know, cut some pallet wood off and put it all together and someone really artsy kind of drew your family mission statement on there. It's kind of like, you know, the centerpiece of your home fits right above your fireplace. And every day you walk into your home and you're like, you know, our family does hugs, we laugh, we cry. You got all these things that define your family, right? I mean, mission defines us. Mission gives us direction. I mean, think about this for your company, maybe that you work at, or think about it for your business. If you're working in your job, if you're there and you start to go outside of the mission that's been defined for your organization, what does your boss do? Right? What does your supervisor do? They begin to reel you back in. Right? They start to, to remind you of the mission. They start to remind you of the vision of the organization. And they, they might say things like, you know what, the things you're pursuing... They might be good things. If you want to pursue those things, you might want to go start your own company because that's not who we are. Instagram, right? Some of you all thought that Instagram was just kind of this app on your phone, but Instagram, it's an organization. It's a company, right? And this is what their mission statement is. Their mission statement says is to capture and share the world's moments. Now, some of y'all this past week, you did that, right? You pulled out your phone on Instagram, took a picture of of something that you did this past week, right? And you take a picture of it and you share it with the world. What were you doing? You're doing exactly what Instagram wants you to do. They want you to capture your life's moments. They want you to share it with the world. That's their mission. That's who they are. Jesus, listen, Jesus himself had a mission statement. Jesus had a mission statement, the Gospel of Luke chapter 19, verse 10, and here's what Jesus' mission was, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. What was the defining mission for the men in this passage? The men that brought the paralyzed man before Jesus, what was their defining mission? What was their vision? What was the thing that they were hoping for? Now, I would say that it was that they had a a friend or, or someone that they knew But they had a friend that they wanted to see walk, and that mission drove them, right? It moved them. And let me ask you this morning, just a very simple question. What drives you, right? What pushes you? What moves you forward in life? Is it to have a good job? Maybe it's to have an early retirement. Maybe it's so that you can maybe leave a good inheritance for your kids. Listen, those are all good things, right? Those are all good things. Those are things that God enjoys for you to have. That you'd have a job that, 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 that provides for you and you could provide for your family. That you'd be able to you know, provide for your family for generations to come. But let me ask you, maybe in a different category, what things, spiritually speaking, drive you? Right? What kingdom dreams do you have? What, you know, what things in your life are you thinking about and, and that you're dreaming about that just, just are moving you in such a way that you're not just living for the moment, but you're living for eternity? That you're saying to yourself, God, look, if this doesn't happen, I don't know if I could take another step. What are the things in your life that are welling up inside of you for eternity's sake that are driving you and are pushing you forward? Parents, Is it that your children would come to faith in Christ? Because if that's the case, you know what's going to happen, right? As a mom or a dad, you know what we're going to do then, right? Is that we're going to work hard every single day to see your children grasp the beauty of the gospel. Every day we're going to work hard at it, right? We're going to work hard at it. Why? Because that's the mission that's defining us. It's putting us out there. Jim Simula, he's a pastor of a church called Brooklyn uh, Tabernacle. And uh, the guy, 
uh, Jim Simula played basketball at two different universities. He played at the University of Rhode Island and the Naval Academy. And when you think about a college athlete, right, someone who's made it to that level, they have a drive, right? And these people uh, are, are athletes, they're driven. And a lot of times you think that, that their drive is only focused on their athletic ability. And one of the things about Jim Simula is when he got to college, he sensed that God was calling him into ministry. And a little bit later, he penned in one of his books, he wrote a statement that Jim said actually was the defining mission of his life. This is something he said that, that I've been yearning for, that I've been longing for and desiring for. And this is what he said. He said this, I despaired at the thought I might let my life slip by without God showing himself mightily on my behalf. It's mission, right? Vision. You know Aristotle, right? Aristotle says the soul never thinks without a picture, right? The soul never thinks without a picture. Listen, there is a picture being painted for you, you in your life right now. You might not even know it. There's a picture that's driving you. There's a vision that moves you. There's a mission that defines you. One pastor said that if the, the size of your vision doesn't intimidate you, it's probably insulting to God. What is driving you for the kingdom? What is it? Who is it? Right? Who is that person? In this passage, these men, the driving force for their motivation was that the lame would walk. And as a disciple of Christ, I would even say to all of us, if we're looking for mission for our life, why not take on the mission of Jesus himself, that God would use us? Right, That God would use us, that the lost might be found. That God would use me as an ambassador for the gospel. For those who are far away, that they may come to Christ. But listen, these men, these men didn't just have a mission. right? They had an eager expectation. These men had an eager expectation, did they not? I mean, they, they didn't just go like, oh man, we got a mission. Sounds great, right? They're like, no, that mission moved me, right? Their expectation with this, you know, might have just been to, to get our friends at the, the feet of Jesus so that Jesus can do what only Jesus can do. When I think about that, I think about risk, right? I think about taking a chance. I think about, you know, taking a dare on God, literally. I think about men of the Old Testament like Joshua, right? Joshua chapter 9, you got Moses, his, his God now. And the baton of leadership is now, you know, of Israel has been handed off to a man by the name of Joshua. And Joshua is now in charge of leading God's people into the, the promises and the fulfillment of God's promises to his people. That they would go into the promised land and it's Joshua's job to do it. And in Joshua chapter 1, verse 8, the Lord looks at Joshua and he says this to Joshua. He says, you're going to have to be strong and courageous. Right, he says, Joshua, you're going to have to be very strong and courageous. Translating, you know, tr translated means this, that you're going to have to take a dare on me, Joshua, at some point, if we're going to get the people to that place. Now, what do you know about Joshua's leadership? Right, I mean, God gave Joshua a task. Right, they, they, they were going to go to, to battle against a city, Jericho. Right, and Jericho, if you know anything about the story, is just kind of like a little wimpy city, right? It had little tiny walls around it. no. I mean, this was a fortified city. This city was built up. It was hard to get into. And so God gives Joshua and the Israelites this epic battle plan, right? God says, march around it. And on the last day, when the trumpet sounds, he says, what are you going to do? God says, you're going to scream, right? I mean, think about that for a moment. No hand grenades, no bazookas, no tanks, none of that. Nope, you're just going to scream. So what are we going to do? We're going to scream because God told us to. 
Think about that. I mean, screaming is not a great battle plan, right? But they do it, and what happens? The walls come down. But you know, a couple chapters later, they're at, they're at war again. They say, you know, if we're going to be successful at this war, God's going to have to do something. And so they literally ask God to make the sun stay in its place to finish what God started. And what, what does God do? He answers. I Man, think about guys like Elijah on Mount Carmel. I mean, one prophet against all the false prophets of the land. And he tells them, bring your sacrifices up to the altar. And the God that answers and consumes the sacrifice, that's the God. And so these men, right, they, they get their sacrifices around. They start doing like, a, you know, like an Indian rain dance. They, they're, they're going around, and what's Elijah's mocking them. And Elijah's saying things like, you know, hey, maybe, maybe your God's on vacation, right? Maybe he's, maybe he's busy. Maybe he's out for a walk. And they keep doing it, and they begin actually cutting themselves. I mean, it's a, it's a really depressing story. And so then finally Elijah's like, you know what, guys, move over. Let me show you guys something. He says, take that sacrifice, Put it on the altar, douse it with water. In fact, you know what? We're going to fill it up. Right? We're just going to soak it. I mean, just completely soak that sacrifice. Water is going to be overflowing just all around it. And he gets on his knees and he says, God, look, I want you today to show off your glory. He says, God, I want you to show off your glory. Me versus all these men, but you're the one doing the work. God, just, just do it. And what does God do? Whoosh, right? It's gone. What do the people do? They fall on their knees and their faces and say, you know, the Lord, surely he is God. Think about guys like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? Daniel chapter 3, they refused to bow to King Nebuchadnezzar and refused to bow to his statue they had put out for the people to bow to because their hearts were aligned and the affections of their hearts were with the one true God. And in Daniel chapter 3, Nebuchadnezzar, he hears about it, he comes over, he says, guys, what's this? I hear about the fact that you're not bowing down. And they say, listen, we will not bow down to you, Nebuchadnezzar, we will not bow our hearts to you. And King Nebuchadnezzar, he says, listen, if you don't bow to me, I'm going to throw you into the fiery furnace. There you will die. Flames will consume you. And they look at him and they say, listen, we refuse to bow down to you because our hearts are for God alone. We believe our God can save us. Now, that's pretty strong faith, isn't it? But here's the best part about that. The next statement in Daniel chapter 3, they say, but even if he doesn't, right, even if he doesn't save us, we still refuse to bow Hebrews chapter 10 verse 39 says, we're not like those that shrink back and are destroyed, but we're like those who press forward and we move forward in faith. And in Hebrews chapter 11, what do you see? This great hall of faith. People who saw God shut the mouths of lions that did all kinds of crazy things, things that people did in faith. I mean, they moved forward and they were sawed in two, but the reward was all the same. They all stepped out in faith and they all took a risk. When was the last time You took a risk on God, right? When was the last time that you stepped out in faith? You know, the guys in this passage, these these men, they had an eager expectation that their friend would walk. But see, they just had a hunch. They were like, maybe Jesus can do it. But as believers, listen, we've got a lot more than a hunch. We have the hope that Jesus is who he says he is and he can do what only he can do. Does that expectation, does that eagerness in your heart, does it drive you forward? Does it move you into action? Because listen, if it's just doctrine in your head, right? If the truth of of God is, is just here and it never makes it here, you're not really following Christ, You're just being consumed with information. See, the gospel transforms the mind. It transforms the heart. It propels the feet. 
right? The gospel moves us forward and the kingdom moves us forward. We're not just cheerleaders, we're, we're competitors. And we contribute to the kingdom of God going forward. These guys, listen, they also encountered an obstacle, right? We all encounter obstacles, don't we? I mean, this is like, you know, for me, it's kind of the defining characteristic of my life, right? When I'm like, you know, they're thinking about that one person or, you know, I go to talk to that person. I feel like there's always something in the way. Now, at this point in the story, the men trying to bring their paralyzed friend, they're, they're carrying on their mat. They try to bring him before Jesus, but what do they know about the door? It's crowded, right? They can't get in. Okay, it's, it's at this point where you're, you know, if you're anything like me, it's at this point you throw up the, the white flag and surrender. And we're like, oh, Lord Jesus, must be a closed door, right? Start speaking Christianese, right? We're like, oh, I guess the Lord doesn't want this to happen, so maybe we just need to go a different way, forget about it. We don't even need to think about it anymore. Listen, for most of us, an open door is just Christianese for the path of least resistance. Open door terminology for most of us is, Lord, we'll walk through that door because it seems easy. Just think about this reality. Imagine if the Apostle Paul only walked through open doors according to our definition. Right? Half of the New Testament would not have been written. Flogged, beaten, thrown in prison, shipwrecked. Sounds like an open door, right? Hey, Paul, don't go to Rome. Because, Paul, if you go to Rome, you know what's going to happen, right? They're going to kill you. He says, yeah, I know. I know that's what you're saying. That's probably what's going to happen. But you know what? I'm going anyways. See, listen, sometimes where there's a closed door, you need to dig a hole in the roof, right? Sometimes you need to improvise and find another way to get to someone, get someone to the feet of Jesus. I mean, sometimes, look, you've got to kick that door open and not just give up and throw up your white flag in the air and say, you know what? must be a closed door. We should go about our merry way. Listen, you are going to encounter obstacles, obstacles that get in the way when you're trying to share Jesus with that one. Don't throw up your white flag and surrender because there's an obstacle there. Dig a hole in the roof. Dig a hole in the roof, listen, and do whatever it takes. Don't be afraid of the ridicule, right? Don't be afraid of the repercussions that you'll, you might have relationally. Or, you know, Man, what will happen if I'm sharing Christ with this guy? Is he gonna like me anymore? Listen, just share Christ, okay? Kick the door open and go for it. Here's the last thing. These guys in this story here, they got more than they bargained for, right? These guys in this passage got way more than they bargained for. Verse 22 says this. Again, Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts, which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? He says, but I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. That's what these guys were hoping for, right? I mean, that's what they were hoping for, that their friend would walk. Verse 25, immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Listen, that's a story that we're here. Sometimes we're like, oh, that's cute. No, that's crazy, right? I mean, a paralyzed man just stood up and walked. That's what they were hoping for. But verse 26, everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. And here's the beauty. Don't miss this verse. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. We see awe there. It's not like awe, like I just walked to the, you know, into the state fair and, and paid a quarter to see the world's smallest woman, okay? It's not like that. This is like I'm filled with awe and I'm filled with wonder because we saw God do what only God could do in this place today. Listen, don't settle for the mundane when Jesus offers the miraculous. 
right? Don't settle for the mundane. Ask God to do what only God can do in the life of the one. The beautiful thing about this passage is this, and I love the order that takes place here, and it's true in Jesus and all of his ministry, is that these guys thought their friend needed to walk, right? The external circumstance was the most important thing, but see, what Jesus looked at was the man's internal posture, What did he say first to them? He said, son, friend, your sins are forgiven. Then he says, take up your mat and walk. Listen, the greatest need that you and I have, the greatest need that the one has, the greatest need is not, you know, external tweaking, right? I'm tired of external tweaking in my life. I don't need an external tweak. I need a heart change. I need my soul crushed so that God can mold me back into who God wants me to be. See, God's not after a tweaked life. He's after a changed life. See, the inner disposition is the most important piece of this whole passage, not the external circumstance. And Jesus does the greatest work here. Right? That's where Jesus does the greatest work, is in the heart. See, at some point, you and I were the paralytic on the mat. We were. You may actually be here this morning and you may be that paralytic on the mat and you may have realized for the first time, my goodness, my friend keeps inviting me to church because he or she thinks that I need Jesus and that's exactly right. That's why your friend's doing that. They want to offer you the greatest hope, not just a message of hope, but the only hope that is in Christ. They want you to see and to taste and to know that the Lord is good. But at some point, we're all that paralytic on the mat and someone in your life, right, someone, we can all trace a finger to someone, someone looked at you and said, my mission is to see that person come to faith in Jesus Christ. And they were eager and they were expectant that God could do what only God can do in your life. And you know what? If they're anything like the people that tried to see me come to faith in Christ, they probably encountered a lot of obstacles, right? I mean, think about it, your pride, your circumstances in life, things in the way. You don't want anything to do with it, but they kept persisting. When the door was shut, what did they do? They dug a hole in the roof. So who's your one, right? Who's your one? Is it a parent? Is it a friend? Is it a child? See, Jesus told his disciples if they were gonna follow him, he was gonna give them a new task, right? He'd give them a new mission. He'd give them a new direction. It was gonna be the one defining characteristics of of every believer. And you know what that was? Jesus looked at his disciples and he says, follow me. Right, follow me from the current state that you're in. Follow me, Jesus said, and I'm going to make you fishers of men. And what he's saying is, look, you've been fishing here for a long time. He said, I'm getting ready to show you something greater, and it's people, and it's life transformation in the lives of those people. I would say that it's time for us to get off the sidelines, stop cheering, and start fishing. Right, start moving the ball down the court. In his book, People Sharing Jesus, a guy by the name of Daryl Robinson had a story in it. And I actually just want to close it out today with that story. I want to close it out by reading this story to you. He says this. Now it came to pass that a group existed who called themselves fishermen. And lo, there were many fish in the waters all around. And in fact, the whole area was surrounded by streams and lakes filled with fish. And the fish were hungry week after week, month after month, and year after year, those who call themselves fishermen met in meetings and talked about their call to fish, the abundance of fish, and how they might go about the task of fishing. Year after year, they carefully defined what fishing means. They defended fishing as an occupation, and they declared that fishing is always to be the primary task of fishermen. 
Continually, they searched for new and better methods of fishing, for new and better definitions of fishing. They created witty slogans and displayed them on big, beautiful banners. These fishermen built large, beautiful buildings called fishing headquarters. And the plea was that everyone should be a fisherman and every fisherman should fish. But the one thing they did not do is they did not fish. In addition to meeting regularly, they organized the board to send out fishermen to other places where there were many fish. They hired staff and appointed committees and held many meetings to define fishing, defend fishing, and decide what new streams should be thought about. But the staff and committee members didn't fish. Large, elaborate, expensive training centers were built whose original and primary purpose was to teach fishermen to fish. Over the years, courses were offered in needs of fish and the nature of fish and where to fish and the reaction of fish and how to approach and feed fish. Those who taught had doctorates in fishology, but the teachers did not fish. They only taught fishing. Year after year, after tedious training, many were graduated and were given the fishing license that they were hoping for. They were sent out to do full-time fishing Some to distant waters, which were filled with many fish. Many who felt the call to be fishermen responded. They were commissioned and prayed over and sent to fish. But like the fishermen back home, they never fished. They engaged in all kinds of other occupations. Some felt their job was to relate to the fish in a good way. So the fish would know the difference between a a good and a bad fisherman. Others felt simply that letting the fish know they were nice, land-loving neighbors, and how loving and kind they were, was surely enough. Now, it's true that many fishermen sacrificed. They put up with all kinds of difficulties, and some lived near the water and bore the smell of dead fish every single day. They received the ridicule of some who made fun of their fishermen clubs and the fact that they claimed to be fishermen yet never fished. Imagine how hurt some were when one day a person suggested that those who don't fish were really not fishermen at all. No matter how much they claimed to be, yet it did sound correct. Is a person a fisherman if year after year he never fishes, or more plainly stated, is one really following if he isn't fishing? Listen, Source Church, it's time to start casting your nets. Right? It's time to start fishing. It's time to stop talking about fishing, and it's time to start. And fishing starts with one. Who's your one? Who's the one person that you want to see God do in them what only God can do? Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, we just come before you. Father, we thank you, God, that for many of us in here, when we were that paralytic on a mat, that God, someone had the mission and the vision, Father, to see to it that we would come to Christ. Father, that's our prayer today. That God, we would get on board with that mission. That mission that you gave to us, Father, to go and to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Father, that we would realize that that's not just the job of a few in the church, Father, but it is the job of every single disciple, every single believer. Father, I just pray that if there's someone here today that have not yet yet thought about who that one person was, that, God, you would lay that on their hearts. And, God, for those who've already picked that one, that, Father, you just, you know, allow them to continue with the strength, Father, and the discipline to continue to pray for them, 
to share Christ with them. Father, we pray for those who are the one that, God, you begin through your Holy Spirit to convict them and begin to move them, Father. God, there are some in this room today who are still that paralytic on a mat. They've never made that decision to follow you, to come to you. You are not the Lord of their life. If that's you this morning and you came in and you were in that condition and and, and you've sat through this message this morning and you've heard something that you've never heard before, the gospel. And there's this yearning in your heart right now. That's the Holy Spirit moving in you. And if you're here today and you want to make that decision, you've never followed Christ, but you want to leave here today different than when you came in with that relationship with Jesus Christ, you say, well, I'd love to do that, but I don't know how. Just pray something like this in your heart. Just say, God, I come before you and God, I know that I'm a sinner. I've been living my life not for for you, God, but for myself. It's at this moment that I want to confess that to you, God. I repent of that, which means I just want to turn a completely different direction, turn from sin and turn to God. And I believe that Jesus is God and that he came to do what only he could do. That Jesus came to do what only he can do in my life. It's not something that I can do on my own. It's not something I can earn no matter how good I am, no matter how many good works I do. But it's something that only Jesus can do. So at this very moment, I want to place all of my faith and all of my trust in Jesus Christ alone to be my Lord and to be my Savior. Look, if you're here today and you just prayed that prayer, we want to join you in your journey. We want to celebrate with you. We want to come alongside of you. We want to walk you through what are some of the next steps of becoming a disciple of Christ. So we'd ask that you just take a connection card with all eyes closed and all heads still bowed. Just take a connection card that's sitting near you and check off today. I've accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And when you're done with service, just take that back to the connection center because we want to be able to connect with you this morning. Again, God, for the rest of us, just pray, Father, that we would reach out to that one. Just think of the life change, God, that could happen in this community if we each shared with one. So, Father, we love you. God, we give all this time up to you for your honor and for your glory. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. We're going to get ready now for another act of worship, and that's through Holy Communion. And I'm going to ask those who are serving communion to come forward at this time. And also our prayer team, as soon as communion is done, our prayer team will be off to the side, uh, ready to pray with you. If there's anything that you need, any prayer that you need, uh, feel free to come up after communion as we take part in that.